say to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Welcome everyone to Down the Garden Path, where each week we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscapes. Hello there, I am Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me across Zoom once again is my co-host Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matt. Hello, Joanne, and good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And as we continue into another new month here on Down the Garden Path, we're joined once again by gardening girl, Julia DeMacos. We're so excited to have you back. Uh, tonight, we're going to catch up with her and her gardening endeavors for 2021. Uh, we talked all about them in February, so I'm dying to know how it all went. And even though the days are getting shorter, Julia is going to share with us some of the wonderful edibles you can still plant for a late season harvest and to help us get ready for and to help us get ready for next spring. That's right. So if you've got a vegetable question for Julia or any other edibles you've been growing in your garden you'd like to share uh, or maybe ask Julia about, we would love for you to join the conversation. You can send your questions to us here uh, in studio uh, at Reality Radio 101 at instudio101 at gmail.com. So I know uh, we've had Julia on a few times uh, this season here on the show, but we're always getting new listeners. So for those who haven't met Julia yet on the show, uh, we'll let you uh, learn a little bit about her. Uh, Julia started growing food after having children and fell in love with it. She gardens organically and tries to keep up or keep things simple while growing new and uncommon vegetables each year. Her garden in Mono, Ontario is uh, on 25 acres on the Niagara Escarpment. Two years ago, Julia expanded her vegetable garden from 2,000 square feet to 7,000 square feet, continuing in the formal kitchen garden style. Julia loves to inspire others to have their own vegetable gardens by showing them the simpler side of gardening. She enjoys teaching others, speaking, and holding workshops. You can find her and her at her blog uh, at www.juliademacos.com. Welcome to the show, Julia. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me again. So well, happy to be here. Love it. Yes. <laughs> I know it's so exciting. And I know um, I've been really enjoyed watching your adventures in the garden on Instagram. So, uh, so I'm excited to hear uh, more about it and share, you know, for you to share with our listeners. Yes, I can't wait. I'm excited. So in February, you mentioned, um, I think you mentioned you were expanding the garden, um, possibly again. So <laughs> has that happened? How many square so feet have you hit this year? <laughs> So, okay, two years ago, we expanded the fence, right? So okay. we, it's, it's a, I think it's a, perm, I think it's a permanent 7,000 square feet. I believe it is. It seems like it should be enough space, but I had that gap. If you saw the pictures from overhead on my Instagram account, um, there was this like space in between the top and bottom section, which was, had intended to complete that over in phases because it was such a big undertaking we couldn't do the whole thing at once so this year in that space half that space is now a 20 foot long tunnel type of raised beds they're also taller than the other beds they're three feet tall which I find really nice and if I could have done the entire garden in three feet height it would have been amazing because it's so easy to work at that height right oh, yeah. and uh, we also did another two beds shortly after the tunnel where I had they're also three feet tall and I think they are they're all two by two by something. So two by 20 is the tunnel. There's two beds on each side of that arch. And then there are two, two by four beds just after that. And that's it for now. So next year, uh, if 
if all goes well, the original 2,000 square feet will be rebuilt because it is falling apart badly and needs a desperate upgrade. And mm. you just can't repair the beds, you know, once they're crumbling. So yeah. that's the next phase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a work in progress. And that's a benefit of doing it in phases too, right? Because if you did it all at once, which is a ton of work, replacing it all at once is a ton of work, right? So being able to, you know, pick and choose your areas. Exactly. It's definitely much more manageable because, you know, when we did the expansion, the original 2000 square feet were really quite productive. That was the entire garden and the soil was good and the beds were still okay. They were still kind of holding their own. Uh, But because the material of the beds is pine in the old section, they don't, I don't recommend pine. um, Just as a side note there, because it does break down fairly quickly. It's Mm. a soft wood. So, but it was okay at the time, but had we replaced everything, then I would have had a harder time um, getting the soil established in that area because mm. that area had really good soil, but mm. uh, it's now you know it's so it's nice to to stagger it. You can't do it all at once. It's just too much. Yeah, also, that's right. So that's a good qu- question for you. Then, what if you do not recommend pine? What do you recommend? So the rest, the expansion is all hemlock. Okay, I've we heard also that. had them. Yeah, we had them cut bigger though. So the original beds, they're I believe they're two by sixes, two by sixes pine which is really narrow maybe one and a half by six this now so what we had was six by six boards um we purchased them at a lumber company and had them split them down the center so they're three by sixes so they're nice and thick so you can actually sit on them and they um are a harder wood so they should last me quite a big bit of time it's been three years now and comparatively from the original space to the expanded space the beds don't look like they've done, they've changed at all. Other than darkened, they look exactly the same. They're not, they're not breaking down. Whereas the pine after three years, you can really see a difference. Uh, so, okay. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Yes. I've heard from other gardeners, vegetable gardeners, that hemlock is the one of choice. Yes. I mean, cedar would be fantastic, but you know, the price of lumber, even yeah. before all this, you know, before COVID cedar was the most expensive. So had I been able to, I'd have loved to do cedar, but it would have been like, I think three times the cost mm, if, at yeah. the time um, to get cedar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so we, I know you told us a whole bunch and I planted some things. So I'm looking forward to talk asking you some questions about things we plant. We are growing here, but you mentioned in February, February show, some of the wonderful vegetables you were trying. Um, what were some of the ones that turned out the best or that you're most excited uh, how, how they turned out? So, you know, every year that I grow food, I learn. So I learn. okay, I'm not doing that again. You know, I've learned I'm not doing celery again because I did that before. I tried many times. I don't really like the result of it. This year I grew, I I think the garden was great. I didn't plant anything really that I didn't like except for kale. So I, I planted way too much kale and I don't really love kale. Plus it attracts the cabbage butterflies and they grow so big in my garden that even netting them would be really difficult. So I'm not doing that again, but I um, had really great success with the garlic as always, but the onions did better than they've ever. They were just these massive softball size, if not larger onions. If you saw them on Instagram, huge. And that was about 250 of them. So I should be good for a bit. (laughs) Yeah. So will you have to plant those next year? Like, I don't know. Yes, they're going to, you know, I always plant about a hundred and I find that I'm done them before December because we use so many, but they've never been, you know, the size like grapefruits that they were this year. So I think they may last me a little bit longer, but I'm hoping to get through the season with them. I don't want to buy them. You know, even when you purchase them in January, they're already sprouting. They're already going bad from the grocery store one. So if I can just keep my own. So that Mm -hmm. was a success. Lemongrass. I just posted about it today um, on Instagram. But so check that out. But I grew it two ways. So I grew it from store-bought stocks. I went to an Asian grocery store and they have really nice stocks there. As long as the crown is uh, intact you can root it if it usually they just chop it off and there's no crown there's no base but if you can find one you can you put it in some water and it will sprout and then you just plant it so those ones I started in the winter I put them in a container in March and they're beautiful they're in my greenhouse Uh, but then I also grew a bed of a four by four bed raised bed of lemongrass that I started from seed in January and they grew beautiful like they grew better than I had thought and they were quite old seeds pretty much most of them germinated and 
the entire bed is full of lemongrass. I'm hoping to get another two weeks of growth and then I'll take them out right before we get the frost. And uh, they look amazing. So that was a big success for me was the lemongrass for sure. Something new and, um, you know, finally, and I didn't have to do anything. Like I just put it, it's like, it just does its own thing because we had the heat. Yeah. And I watered it in the beginning really well. And then I never really watered it again. And it's done its own thing. So lemongrass, that was a huge one this year. Oh, that's great. Because that can be hard to find even to like as a chef, like as a cook. Um, yeah, we, we cook, uh, you know, a lot of Indian dishes in our family and, and curries and stuff and it's often lemongrass. And yeah, it's hard to find. You barely can find one, right? Like, mm-hmm. and then they're often half moldy and they have black tips and they look yeah. because they're bringing them in from, I don't know if it's Thailand or somewhere overseas and they just don't come in in the greatest condition. So if you can grow your own and they freeze really well. So I've done some research on how to harvest them. So uh, I'm going to harvest them all and I'm going to clean them up and cut off the leaves because they're really leafy at the top. And I'll roll those into little bundles and use that for tea or like to flavor a broth. Very excited to like you twist them together and make these little bundles. Adorable. Love them. We can freeze them. And then you can also freeze the stalks. And then when you're ready to use them, they defrost easily, chop them up and you use them in your recipe. So I'm really like, I think that's going to make it really easy for me um, if I ever need lemongrass. And it's great in tea too. Like just even the stalks, you can do all kinds of stuff with it. So I'm looking oh, forward to it. That is yeah. cool. Yeah, that is good to know. Excellent. Excellent. Very cool. Do you know what you did differently with the onions this time? Did you grow a different variety for the success? So the success, um, this is what I say is every year I would grow onions and I'd be frustrated because, you know, I've tried growing them many ways. You know, I've grown them from seed and I've also grown them from sets and sets are those little mini bulbs that they sell, you know, in nurseries or even the Canadian tire, you know, a hardware store. But so, but those are one year old bulbs right so onions bolt in the second year they go to seed the second year they're biennials so when you buy a set and if you don't have the right climate like if we lived in london in england we could put them out in the very early spring and they would produce bulbs for us but because of where we live it's hard to get them out on time and as a result because our heat comes so quick from freezing winter to like high heat of summer they bolt. So try growing them that way. And I never get a bulb out of them, maybe something small, but then they always bolt. So they go to seed because they are a second year. They're in their second year. Um, Growing from seed, I've always started them indoors and I've tried different ways, transplanting uh, individual seeds into individual cells. I've grown them as a bunch and separated them later. But the problem was I didn't get them out on time. So because we live in the Northern hemisphere, uh, we grow long day onions. So what that means is that once the longest day of the year passes, they begin to bulb. They don't do that before. So what you do is you put them in the ground, you look at them, nothing's happening. They just look like a bunch of green onions. But once the longest day passes, you notice them starting to swell. So the key is to get them in the ground early enough for them to establish roots and establish themselves within the soil to get to the stage where they're ready to bulb up. So in the past, I never really got them out on time. I was too busy. You know, I thought, oh, I'll just do it later. I'll do it at the end of May. It'll be fine, you know. But yeah. onion, they, they need that time before that to, so they need about six weeks, I found. Six, four, minimum, I would say five, six weeks in the ground before the longest day. And then they're established and then they will grow. Also, they do better when they're separated into individual, like the seedlings are, are teased apart, put into individual cells or planted that way initially. They just need that space to establish their roots within the little pot. So those two things together are what you need. You don't have to cover them. They can take snow. They can take ice. They can take frost, which mine did. I planted in the middle of April. No problem, no damage. And they grew fantastically. So that to me is the key. Okay. Yeah. And they're, and the ones I grew, they're not the greatest for storage. They're slightly sweet. They're Walla Wallas and they, but they're really sweet. Um, You know, even working with them, I've been processing, making a lot of, salsa and tomato sauce and all kinds of things and you know you can handle them in your hands they don't feel hot they don't actually burn the eyes the same as other onions do they're quite sweet so I really like the Walla Wallas that I grew this year but if you're looking for a storage onion it's better to pick like a Stuttgarter or something that is more of a storage variety and then they'll last you longer yeah 
Good to know. Well, it's good to know that they'll handle the cold. So getting them out in April, because the longest day, like, is usually around June twentieth, right? Twenty first. Because my son is born on the twentieth, so I know it's always yeah. around that. Um. So yeah. So at the end of April, right? Yeah. For so sure. I was out there second week of April, and I planted them. And the greatest thing was is that you know nothing's happening in the garden other than the garlic growing. You know, you've got the time. It's not like, you know, a month later where you're so busy, you don't have time for anything. In April, it's easy to get out there and just get them in the ground. So, you know, you okay. take one afternoon and you plant them all up and they're done. The bed is handling itself. But I do a lot of another thing that I did was because I add uh, I top the beds with compost or um, composted manure or both. Um, I found that the nutrients really helped to uh, feed the soil and produce healthier bulbs. So if you're planting into you know, um, soil that hasn't been fed, um, you may not have the same success or the same output in terms of size, they do need to be fed. So but I do that all at the beginning. So it's again, it's cold outside, you don't just you don't need much of a, you know, a vest or a light jacket, you're out there working, you're sweating anyway. Um, but I top the soil. And then I also like to, uh, I didn't actually in this case, but you could also do top with straw after you plant, and then it's okay. all done. And then it just takes care of itself. And um, that's it. It's just so easy. And that's all it took. Okay. <laughs> and Matt, this sounds like we've got a few questions already for Julia. Yeah, right. we do have a few questions. Uh, Joyce has written in, uh, hello, does Julia sell any of her crops to any uh, local people around where you live? I sold garlic this year and uh, that was really successful. So my future plans are to increase how much garlic I grow in order to sell more because the garlic did really well. And I've been growing the same stock for many, many years. And I just keep replanting and selecting the best. So I do sell my garlic, uh, but I haven't really sold the rest of it. It may be something, you know, I could I have to do that, like plan for it and uh, kind of put it into the schedule and know where I'm putting it. But yeah, but uh, just garlic so far. Well, when the word is out now about your lemongrass, you never know. <laughs> yeah. right? We'll have to plant more next year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> My local lemongrass, right? It doesn't have to come from across the world. Yes, yes. Well, that's, you know, well, we've talked about that before. How I tell people to put their garlic in from the grocery store back. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah it comes from another country. No, you don't want that. Right, exactly. Um, so, uh um, so we have Glenn who's written in and he said, hello, down the garden path. I'm a big fan of Julia's. <laughs> My Yay. question, I have never grown herbs before and wanted to start with garlic and basil. Can you please give me some advice on how to actually start doing this? The information online is sometimes very vague and I want to do it right. Yes, you're right, Glenn. It can be vague. Okay. Uh, if you go to my website, juliedemakos.com, I have a lot of posts on growing garlic and garlic. I think this is a question we may be covering later about what to plant now kind of thing. Uh, but garlic is something that you plant uh, in the fall. I plant mine next month and it's great because you stick it in the ground and you don't have to think about it. It's the first thing that comes up next year. So that is a very easy one. And definitely check that out if you want specific details, because if you have a specific question about what you need to do and how to plant it, there's the details in my post. And I believe I also have YouTube um, videos on it on my channel. Um, again, it's I think you just go to youtube.com slash gardening girl, and then you can get to my videos. Uh, in terms of basil, basil is a heat loving herb, it does not like cold, and it will turn black if you if it gets exposed to any kind of really low temperatures, uh, even, you know, above frost, if it's exposed to three, four, it'll turn black. So it's it's a heat loving herb, you plant it when you grow your tomatoes and your cucumbers in the summertime. And um, it does grow really easily from seed. Uh, I always start everything indoors. I believe I have a post on growing basil again on my website. I even have a post on how to harvest it. But yeah, I would suggest starting it indoors in self in a seed pack, like a cell tray. Uh, you put the seeds like one per cell, or you could do two. I often suggest doing two per cell because if one doesn't germinate, you have a spare. And if it does, you can choose to keep two or not. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they, they do need a little bit of space because they get quite bushy. And as long as you prune them back and prevent to prevent them from going to seed, because they always strive to produce flowers and then seeds. And once they do the flavor changes and they don't produce any more leaves. So you do want to continuously pinch them back. And when you do, I do have a post on this. I even have, I believe I have a video on this too, on my YouTube channel, wow. but you want to pinch back at the, where the uh, leaf joint, uh, the leaf joint. So where the stem and the leaf join, 
that's where you want to pinch just above that spot because it's similar to, it's the same family as a mint plant and mint plants also grow in the same way. They will produce branches at the leaf joint if you snip just above. So then by doing so, you produce a bushier plant. But if you keep harvesting your basil, it will continuously make more basil throughout the entire season. And it's fairly easy. Once you get started growing it, you'll see that it's really simple and always pinch from the top as opposed to, you know, by leaf, individual leaf. I don't recommend doing that because what you do is you make a really wonky shaped plant and they don't actually produce leaves. They produce branches that produce leaves. So if you just pinch up a leaf, you're going to have a bare branch. So that's, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully that answers Quinn. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. And it's great to know you've got a video because everybody, some people love it. Radio's great, but sometimes you need a video. (laughs) Yeah. And I believe I have like a post on it too on my, on my website. So definitely check it out. Excellent. Very nice. Kelly also has written in, uh, what is a raised bed? So what is it meant by a raised bed? Very good question. So there's two types of raised beds. There's a raised bed. Actually, there's several types of raised beds. But to give you an idea, it's basically a bed that, that is. So my raised beds are wooden boxes that we build with open bottoms, and we fill them with the soil of our choice that we cater like to what we want to grow. Like so, we basically, um, it's you put the box down on top of the soil or on top of the grass or what have you. Cover the base so that way there's no grass inside it. So you want to kill that off with cardboard. And then you start, you fill it with soil. So an easy solution is to put triple mix, um, or you can do like a combination of peat and worm castings and compost and and, composted leaves and make your own mix. But by having a raised bed, you control the soil structure of what you're growing in. And not everyone has the best soil. Where I live, for example, I live on limestone. So if you dig a hole, you get lots of stones, which makes it really difficult to plant in because every hole is, is a battle to, you know, to dig where I live. Um, Some people have sandy soil, some people have acidic soil, some people don't, they have clay soil. So by putting a raised bed down on the ground, you're controlling what's inside the soil inside that raised bed and makes it a lot easier for you to grow. They also have raised beds, um, which is basically, it's on the ground, but it's mounded, you know, several inches. And that's also considered a raised bed. It's not like it doesn't technically have a frame around it. It's just mounded. And it's, Again, you put what you want on top of that mound, you create a mound out of compost, a combination of different things, and then you grow in that. And it's kind of without walls type of raised bed. And then there's also raised beds, which are basically like containers that are sold. You can unfold them. They could be made out of fleece. They could be made out of corrugated metal. They could be made out of plastic, what have you. Those are all considered raised beds. And they can, you can get creative and you can, you know, use a piece of furniture as a raised bed you could do a bathtub so it could really be anything you want it to be Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hopefully that answers it yeah yeah no that's a good question one more question from ron and ron has uh written in speaking of halloween were we haha uh i want (laughs) to grow my own pumpkins next year for halloween has julia ever grown them and can you use the seeds from a pumpkin that i got this year Thank you. Great question. Yes, uh, I've grown pumpkins and pumpkins grow really easily. They love, for example, like I have compost bins outside my garden. They will grow there themselves. So if I throw out a rotting pumpkin from, you know, after Halloween, I throw it in there and the birds don't eat every single seed. I end up getting masses of pumpkin plants that come out of it. And I have like a soil pile, which is leftover soil that we didn't use for the raised beds that we built last two, two years, three years ago. Um, I had pumpkins growing in it last year. So really pumpkins like to have a rich compost soil. So if you um, have, you got like, if you want to grow them in a garden or you want to have, if you have a, a space that they can sprawl on the ground, because they do need a lot of space, they do travel quite a distance and you know, they're, they just could kind of do their own thing. So if you can place them somewhere where they can travel, you can grow them on the ground. Um, I would just like put some, maybe some compost. You could buy a bag compost, a fertile um, composted manure, like really like sheep manure, for example, kind of in the planting hole or as your base of your bed where you're going to be planting with the top of it. Um, you'll ha- you should have no problem growing pumpkins. And your second part of that question was the seeds. So pumpkin is a member of the cucurbit family, which is the cucumber family. Um, And so many different 
squashes and pumpkins will cross with each other. So if you don't, the, the pumpkins that you got at the store with the seeds inside them may have been growing in a field with other squashes and other pumpkin varieties. So when you plant that seed, you good chance you won't get the same pumpkin that uh, you purchased. You might get like a different color. It could be a different shape. Maybe it looked like a butternut squash. Like it could be mm. something else. So there is a little bit of a risk, but you know, sometimes it's fun to experiment and see what you get. But uh, I suggest it's better just to purchase fresh uh, pumpkin seeds when it comes to, or like squash seeds in general, because you don't know if you save your own, you have to be really specific about um, what's growing near them. And if they're going to cross with another, with with their relative. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Interesting. Interesting. So our growing season was pretty good this year. Like, you know, we had that kind of a wet July, but you know, August certainly made up for heat. Um, and I know weather usually contributes to the success and the hits and misses, right? Um, yep. So I wondered what, um, did you find that was the case or um, did you have any other um, challenges? You know, you mentioned the success of your garlics and garlic onions and lemongrass. How, so, any things that were challenging? So we had, there were so many challenges. You know, every year the garden just presents me with new challenges that I don't expect. So, you know, it's always a learning experience. So last year we had a really hot summer. It was really dry, but then we had all these bugs that I'd never seen before. I had Colorado potato beetles. I had squash vine borers. I had cucumber beetles. Like I had never had them in nine years at that point. I'd never had them until last year. And then we had this winter that wasn't very cold. It didn't freeze hard enough. It didn't stay cold for long enough. It was a pretty mild winter and it ended really quickly. Like it ended earlier than normal you know typically in april would be covered in snow but we really weren't so what happened was a lot of those bugs overwintered in the soil they didn't really die back so my garden in may i planted just before the final frost i put out um i had eggplant i planted a couple of eggplant just to see and i was going to cover them anyway with cloches to protect them if we had a frost and in may i had colorado potato beetles on my eggplant and i know that they attack potatoes and eggplants because they're members of the same um, nightshade family mm-hmm. but I'd never had them on eggplant before and I, I had never seen them that early because last year they didn't come out till August so that was really frustrating and then the cucumber beetles same thing you know in May wow. I had put out a few plants and there they were like it was almost overnight like two days later there they were like are you kidding me oh. they were just waiting in my garden so that was really frustrating it was a summer of a lot of uh, battling the pests, the garden pests, and trying to find creative ways to deal with them. And, uh, you know, for the cucumber beetles, I found solutions. I have a YouTube video on that. I, you know, soaked my soil as I was like misting the soil. I was able to catch them and put them in a bucket of soapy water because the mist of the water would keep them from flying away. So they didn't sit, you know, in spots. So I could collect them easily, throw them into a bucket of soapy water. A bucket of soapy water was my best friend all summer collecting all the bugs. Oh, wow. So that was... <laughs> that was the frustration and then we had all that drought and that seemed okay and you know many plants don't want to be soaked constantly and I don't really water a lot in my garden and my garden is not irrigated I do a lot of watering in the beginning and I kind of let it do its own thing and I find it's fine for whatever we get from rain Um, but because it's been so rainy the last few weeks we had a couple of huge storms the last few Tuesdays uh, and it's dewy every morning and damp and well, I have late blight in my garden and my tomatoes. Oh. So I haven't seen that in four years and I have it this year. So, you know, it's, it's a constant battle of what am I going to see next time? You just can't get upset about it because mm-hmm. you know, something's going to happen. You can't expect it to be perfect. I just always feel grateful for whatever I get. And, you know, if it's over, it's over. I just have to say, thank you for giving what you gave me garden and, you know, we'll try again next year. So mm. just can't cry about it. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So is that all your tomatoes now or they're? Yeah. So I was just out there and pretty much it's, I didn't even notice it before. And I haven't really been there the last few days because I've been so busy processing in the kitchen, all the t- other tomatoes that I have was uh, making sauce with. And I noticed uh, some blotching on these before, but it was more like yellow blotching. So it wasn't blight and I'm, you know, I know what to look for because I've had this several times in the past and um, today I went out there and sure enough, you know, and it's just so frustrating. (laughs) You can't do anything, you know. Um, My zucchini plants were annihilated by the squash vine borer this year. So I had to buy them from my neighbor. 
Uh, and luckily my neighbor has a farm stand. So, you know, I was able to buy them and then I went picking some at a farm in uh, King City. So, you know, you take your losses and you take your wins and yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful for whatever I get, basically. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. And that often go, I mean, certainly applies to vegetable gardening, but I think it also applies to, you know, ornamental gardens, bulbs, you know, like there's always something that that's, I think that's the addiction that keeps us, you know, I think the challenge of going back, right. Of, uh, yeah. of figuring it out. You know, we've been everybody the between the red lily beetle, um, for, for lilies, um, the Japanese beetle for many plants and roses, like all the things that, you know, any rose grower goes through. So yeah, we just keep going back, back at it. Don't we? <laughs> yeah. I just say, I just say gardeners are a patient bunch, you know, we're yeah. just a patient bunch and, uh, we just keep getting beat up and we're fine with it because it's just so worth the result. Even if it's something it's just so exciting to produce something from nothing you know and it, yeah. it's it's so worth it you know and I you know in in learning every year experiencing the mistakes experiencing the uh the things that fail I you know I, I become more selective of what I want to try again next year and in my planning so there's it's not all bad in a way like I try to see it as a learning experience so you know I know that next year I'm going to have a break from all cucurbits because those cucumber beetles when they wake up from the ground and also the squash bugs because I had those everywhere. Um, when they wake up next year, they'll have nothing to eat. You know, they can fly away or die. And then I'm hoping to give my soil a rest next year so that they will, won't be able to produce a life cycle here because they won't have be able to lay eggs because there'll be nothing to eat. So, you know, these are, it's okay. And I, I feel mm -hmm. good about that. I feel like I'm going to have a little break next year and it's going to be okay. I'll just plant more zinnias. You know, I'll just oh, yeah. <laughs> fill this space with flowers. Yeah, and that's just fine. Just to, you know, and, and then again, I'm patient. So maybe 2023 will be the year of amazing squashes and zucchini. Mm -hmm. So I'll just go to my neighbor. <laughs> Get <laughs> them from the well, farm stand. Well, I guess in a way it'd be better to almost compare, like, you know, you if you're growing a lot of A, then he doesn't, he can grow a lot of B and then you guys can help each other out, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, I know, so that's from fine, that right? It's, it, it's not a big deal. I'm not offended. Um, and it's because they're also, you know, they're available at the grocery store, but there's, they're available at farm at farmers locally. Yeah. I mean, even people that live in the city can take a drive up and they can see they're sold a dollar a zucchini. I mean, it's really not such a big deal and it's fresh from their farm and it tastes great. So yeah, it's worth it. You know, whatever you can grow, it's better than growing nothing at all. That's what I always That's say. That's right. Yes. No, I think so too. I think so as well. And there's just something about it. Yeah. It's just that, I don't know. It's yeah. There's something about going out to the garden and seeing something that you grew. And, yeah. Uh, so satisfying. Very so satisfying. 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 Mm -hmm. And eating stuff right off the vine too. eating the cherry tomatoes oh, right yeah. off the vine, you know, nothing beats that. I have to say that I'm starting to love cherry tomatoes more than large sized tomatoes. I mean, I do love a good tomato sandwich. Um, but I, my tunnel that I, we, we uh, built this year, the one entire side, 20 feet was just nothing but cherry tomato type, different ones. And every day I'd go there. Once they started producing, I would just, you know, walk by and eat all the ripe ones. And they're just so <laughs> delicious. And, you know, I also discovered, I made I, I made decisions on what I'll never grow again that doesn't taste good. And I noticed what tastes really good and what flavor I really want to experience and what I noticed the skin. Like, these are things I never really paid attention to. Um, the thickness of the skin really bothers me. If it stays in my teeth, I don't want to have to chew it, and, you know, dig it out. I'd rather just like have a thinner skin one. So I know which ones I like, which ones I don't. So the cherries are just... You know, they're really flavorful if you get the right ones. And they're turning into my favorite, I have to say, of all the yeah. tomatoes. Oh, that's Is good. there a specific cherry that you, like, are really excited about growing again from your group? Yes. Year? So, you know, I used to be a big Sun Gold fan. Sun Gold fan and yes. tomato growers will probably disagree with me all around. But I don't like it anymore. Um, I don't know what happened. I'm not sure if the strain... Um, if it's not as pure as the original sun golds that I used to eat, I find they're not as sweet as they used to be. And I find the skin really thick. Like I don't like that skin. It's like in there. Right. And you're, you know, I'm, I'm chewing on skin as I'm walking around the garden and I don't like that. So my favorite, 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 and I will be selling it in my shop this year is sunrise bumblebee. Oh, that's Sun a cute name. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Buy that just for the name. It is the, it's the prettiest thing. It's got a yellow base, like the yellow, it's yellow with red striping. And inside is, I believe it's pink or red. It's juicy. 
It's sweet and it has thin skin, but it also doesn't crack. So, you know, on the vine, um, I can, if I don't get it on time and it rains, it doesn't matter. It doesn't crack. Like it mm-hmm. really takes a lot. And considering that it's thin skin, it's surprising how, how resilient it is. Whereas I have so many that just crack constantly from nothing. You just pick them and they're cracking in your hand. Whereas Sunrise Bumblebee doesn't. I also grew Pink Bumblebee and it's good as well. But the sunrise is just gorgeous. I mean, it's almost electric how it's red against yellow. Uh, they look like little globes of light. And I have a, a post on my Instagram where I'm holding a few in my hand, and, you know, saying like, these are my favorite. These are my favorite oh. new cherry tomato. And also you can save seed from it. It's going to be pure. Whereas Sun Gold um, is a hybrid. You have to purchase the seeds every year. They're always six dollars or so for you know a small packet of seeds uh they're not viable forever i find with sun gold i don't know like in terms of compared to other tomato varieties i find that the sun golds aren't as viable they don't all germinate if you have them over the years um and they're not reliable for me anymore but you know with sunrise bumblebee or the bumblebee series you can save those seeds plant them again you don't have to worry about them being crossed because tomatoes are um self like they have a they have a closed flower where the male and female parts are in one flower so they don't actually need pollination to produce fruit. They Even if you leave it, the wind blows on it, it will produce fruit. They'll produce fruit inside under a grow light. So, oh. you know, um, if you save those seeds, you're going to get the same thing next year. So I, uh, yeah, that's my new favorite. Very excited about it. Oh, wow. That is great. <laughs> yeah. I have to check and, out that one. Oh, go ahead, yeah, go. it's definitely, it's going to be in my shop. I've already saving them they're processing they're great and I'm going to be saving more so I should have a bunch available and plus they're locally grown right so I purchased mine through a U.S. company they're grown somewhere in the U.S. these are grown in my garden which means they're better adapted to our climate which means that they should grow better than ones purchased from American company well, I will be definitely looking for those in your shop and purchasing <laughs> mine this year. Um, Thank you. <laughs> you have so many great stuff in your shop and so much information. And I love the Bumblebee series. Um, yes. They're so delicious. They um, are. I'm going to jump in and I'm just going to uh, give us a quick ID. And then we have uh, about four questions. Uh, and I think one of them was about tomatoes inside. Uh, so I just okay. want to say uh, thank you for everybody for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host Joanne Shaw. And you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the wonderful guests like Julia Demakos joining us on the show this evening. Don't forget you can spend more time with us down the garden path. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle there is at Down the Garden Path Podcast. You can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of content, new content. And please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We are still taking wonderful questions here for Julia, talking all about autumn edibles and what uh, we could be planting and uh, what Julia has planted and harvested in her wonderful garden mm-hmm. uh, this year. So don't forget to write us a question. You can write us here at in studio 101 at gmail.com again in studio 101 at gmail.com and you can find um, julia with all of her wonderful social media links there at her blog www.juliademacos.com excellent and that'll all be in our show notes as well julia so everybody be able to click in and and connect with you there Um, And so Grant has written in, he says, uh, I love salads and love them with fresh homegrown veggies. Is it possible to grow tomatoes, et cetera, all all year long here in Toronto, inside with pots using natural sun and grow lights? I've never tried it, but I want to. Thanks. So great question. And depending on your setup and what you're growing, if you're going to grow indoors, you could, I, so what I do is I grow, um, micro tomatoes in the house and they grow under the grow light they all they need is a four inch pot they only grow up to six inches tall and maybe as wide or slightly smaller but they produce tiny or they produce not tiny they produce cherry tomatoes so there are a number of different varieties available on the market and the one I grew last year was called orange hat and that is a seed variety available from Baker Creek 
those are again heirlooms um, open pollinated so you can save seeds from them you don't need to purchase new seeds all the time uh, but they do produce for the for a long period of time so last year I started mine in December and I you know they grow just like any other tomato plant you put them into um, you can plant them directly into the pot into the four inch pot set it under the grow lights it'll germinate it'll grow it'll take a couple of months for it to start producing fruit but then it will produce fruit and it once it starts it just keeps going if you want to have a few of them set up because I mean at a time you may only harvest a few but if you have a few pl plants set up and they're not very big you can have like 10 if you wanted to on a, on a shelf and you can have a whole collection of cherry tomatoes they do come in different varieties different micro tomatoes so you need to do a search online there is a, a company that I purchased from uh, last well, actually during the winter time for this year the seed company is called secret seed cartel they're a u.s company with a link to france so they kind of work together they have two offices um they send you a little packet of seeds but they have a whole bunch of micro tomatoes that you can order from them and they have red ones too so definitely start with that now if you have a big space the problem with growing, you know, with just the window is our days get too short. And so tomatoes need a lot more direct sun. So like summer sun, you can imagine a full sun garden. That's how much sun they need. So you need to have your lights on for, I, I do 16 hours on eight hours off every day when I'm using my grow lights. So we don't have 16 hours of sun in the wintertime. We have like eight. So it's not enough time, maybe even less. So it's not enough time. And not only that, the sun sits really low. As you, If you notice in the wintertime, it sits like in the horizon. It's always in your eyes the entire day, right? Until it goes down again. It's just not high enough to really grow anything. And that's why things stop growing in the wintertime. So it's best to grow them under grow light. But if you have like a stand and you want to grow a larger plant, then you can grow a determinate variety. And that means it'll grow a maximum size to three or four feet. You know, you'd have to get a tomato cage for it, a big pot, make sure that it's protected underneath. It's not going to get, you know, damage your floor or anything like that. But you can definitely grow determinate varieties because they don't really need the staking and they don't need any pruning. You want to keep all the suckers because the plant produces all at once, maximum together. You don't need to take off any branches and it, then that's it'll grow to maximum size. And that is more manageable indoors than another kind of, you know, indeterminate, which would need to be staked to the ceiling basically and pruned constantly. Mm -hmm. And it'd be much harder to work with. So yeah, but micros are very easy very to work good. with it. Yeah. I would recommend them. What about lettuce? Is that, cause they tend to be a little lower light in the summer, kind of, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> See, I always set my lights. I don't grow anything in the window until about, so the winter Persephone days end here groundhog day february the 2nd and after that the days start getting just long enough for things to start to grow and before that they just we don't have enough light so after that period in about march you could start growing things in the window when the light is not enough things will lean to the window and they're not the mm. reason why they're leaning is they're just growing more on the side that is on the window side they're not growing on the other side so it looks like the plant is leaning, but really it's just growing more on the window side and it needs to be like up against the window because the, the window will actually diffuse a lot of that, the UV light that comes through as well. So you're not getting it all. Um, but if you want to grow in the window, you know, um, April, maybe you could start May would be a better time when the days are long enough to give them enough mm -hmm. light against the window. And it would have to be your brightest, sunniest window, you know, west facing, southwest yeah. facing, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, it, under a grow light, they'll grow no problem. Yes. Okay. So you can grow lettuce under a grow light in the house yes okay. definitely mm -hmm. okay excellent all right some good tips and it is cool that we can start to do you know the grow lights are more readily available and more interesting looking you know so uh so yeah that's great and if you go on amazon you can find all kinds you know that look like lamps you can find led ones that just have an arm you know you could set them over top of a house plant if you wanted to they don't look offensive you can, you know, you can work. There's a lot more options available on the market and LEDs are not hot as fluorescents are. So, um, you know, it wouldn't heat your room the same way um, as well. Yeah. So Good. it makes it easy. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, I'm totally lost into the micro tomatoes from uh, 
<laughs> Secret Seed Cartel. What a cool name. <laughs> it is. So cool. <laughs> Don't you just cool want to order? Don't you just want to yeah, order? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm okay, wondering, because I can see Matt. I'm like, where did he go? Like, he just, you know. That's right funny. I, you said cartel. I wrote for Brigade for some reason. So Secret Seed <laughs> Cartel. I don't know who the brigade Secret is. Secret Brigade. That was I don't great. know. I don't know what I did. That. <laughs> uh, my mind works in mysterious ways. Um, <laughs> So we have an interesting question from Alexis. So she says, hello, has Julia ever grown aloe plants? Due to all the hand sanitizer that I'm using during this pandemic, aren't we all? Uh, mm -hmm. I find myself buying a lot of aloe to use on my skin. I would love to try and grow fresh aloe. Any tips? Thank you. Yeah, so aloe is, I have, I do grow it and I have it growing. Um, aloe is a succulent type and it does not like full sun. So if you grow it, you can grow it indoors and put it in an, in a, an east or north facing window. If you put it in a sunny window, I'd even put it away from the window. It doesn't need to be, it could be in the room. Um, it doesn't, it'll turn red. It'll get sunburned if you put it in the sun. So um, I noticed that when I went to the Caribbean. And I noticed that they had these enormous plants. They're massive and they look just like aloe, but they're red. And I realized that my, when mine turned red is because it had a sunburn and those were exposed you know, to bright mm -hmm. sun from the Caribbean and they were all red. So the red will actually make the pulp inside red too, kind of orangey. So it's better to grow it away from the window. It just needs, it doesn't need a lot of water because it's a cactus type. So um, too much water will rot it and it'll rot the, the crown. So you definitely don't want to do that. It needs very occasional water. And um, I'm, I do have one growing. I have a couple growing in clay pots. And I don't, I'm not a big fan because they dry out so quickly and they're really hard to water. So I bet I'd suggest not putting in the clay pot. Um, but some good drainage at the bottom and, or like put them into a plastic pot and then as, as an insert for a larger clay mm -hmm. pot or decorative pot. Um, water it you know, when it's super dry, you know, you pick it up and you can feel that it's dry or you touch the soil and it's just, it's like sand is dust, then you can water it and to water it. I like to water from below. So I set it into sink and I let the water absorb naturally. And when it seems like it's all wet um, or damp at the top, then I take it out, drain it, put it back in the pot. So that's the best way. Never water from above because you'll soak that crown. The crown will start to get moldy. Yeah. Um, and and uh, rots. so, yeah, and rots. And it's, it's honestly one of the easiest plants to grow. It doesn't need any care and don't put it in the window. Like, I mean, it's ideal. You can grow in an apartment with no, you know, without a balcony or anything, just have it sitting somewhere on your coffee table somewhere and it'll be just fine or in the corner and they make babies. So if you get the pups. Uh, they, they they come up and around the uh, the sides of the plant of the pot. You can take them out and transplant them and make more. And if you when you buy one, see if you can find one with pups already in there. And then you know you can transplant them yourself and make more initially, like right away. Mm -hmm. um, and when you harvest, take a leaf, take an entire leaf as opposed to like a piece of a leaf, because then you'll just cut it all weird and it won't grow yes. back from that spot anyway. So it's better just to cut it down uh, right to the bottom. Yeah. And that's fairly easy to do, right? You can very easily cut off the, it's like a, yeah, cutting off a whole leaf and then all that gel is inside. Inside. Yeah. And then you can mm. just peel it and use it. And some people um, uh, turn it into juice, like they juice the, mm -hmm. the inside. They even sell, like if you go to um, an, uh, an Asian grocery store, they may have like big leaves. Like those are the ones you would see in the Caribbean and you can have the entire, you know, it's like a sheath. It's enormous and you can you can basically do the same thing, just peel it and take out the pulp and juice it and drink it. Or, you know, you can put on burns. It's great mm -hmm. to have. It's like a first aid kit that you have forever and you mm -hmm. hardly ever use it. And it's, um, you know, and it's, it's always there for you. So it's a great mm -hmm. little plant for the house. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I was muted there. I apologize. I think we've got another question. Um, Nancy is writing in. Hi, what is Julia's toothache plant? How is it used? <laughs> Thank you very much. Ooh, tell us. Tell us. Is <laughs> that on your Wow. Plant? It's been a while. You must have seen it a year ago because I didn't grow it this year. Um, so toothache plant is an herb type plant. And I don't remember the botanical name for it. Maybe Matthew can look it up or, or something for us. <laughs> um, but it is a culinary um specialty um chefs like to sugar it and add it make desserts from it so it's it, it's called toothache because the flowers actually 
give you like a numbing sensation. So traditionally it was used to uh, numb a sore tooth or a sore area in your mouth. So I, you know, for, uh, I grew it for fun last year. It, they're, I have a yellow one. Um, they're also available in kind of like a burgundy-ish yellow. Um, and the pollinators loved it. So it was just beautiful in the garden. Uh, but I didn't really, I tried it once a couple of times. It's like, okay, this is weird. <laughs> it really gives you like a, like a zingy kind of sensation in your mouth that kind of t- tickles the tongue, you know, the tip oh, of your tongue. Really? But it's fun. It's fun. And if you're creative, like I'm not, you know, I cook, but I'm not that creative. So um, I didn't use it for anything. I could have tried to make like something for dessert, but I didn't. Yeah. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Did you find anything, Matt? I did. And I found, um, and again, from uh, Baker Creek, they have some seeds, it looks like, but uh, Spilanthus oleracea. Uh, That's what it is. Tooth plague, toothache plant. So an annual member of the aster family. Uh, yeah, they yes. were saying a natural chemical that has antibacterial and antifungal properties. So there you yeah, go. Stellantis. Cool. That's right. There you go. Interesting. And that's where I got my seeds from when I purchased it. Oh, as okay. Well. Baker Creek. Yeah. Excellent. They I, do like a, they create like a nice mounding type of form in the garden. They make a nice border plant. They're pretty. The pollinators love them. They do drop seeds. So be careful. I, I collected mine last year. I didn't want them going everywhere. So as long as you pick them up, um, take them before they dry up in the garden, they should be okay. They shouldn't drop the seed. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was uh, a cute little mound of yellow, these like sunny yellow little flowers. So it was lovely to grow it. Oh, that's good. And for any of our bakers or dessert makers out there, that'd be an interesting thing to try, right? Yeah, surprise, <laughs> make some ice cream out of it. Surprise your friends and <laughs> family. <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> oh, goodness. Uh I think we have a couple more questions as we reach our last 10 minutes of the show. Um, Carl just quickly writes in and says, excellent show tonight. Very informative. Thank you for the information. Thank you, Carl. And then we've got uh, Iola has also written in, are there any herbs and spices that Julia can recommend to help with inflammation and digestive health? Thank you. So I don't uh, know all the um, medicinal values of the herbs, although I am signed up for an herbalist course uh, program Ooh. that I'm doing. I'm starting, I'm just waiting for my books to arrive, but that's my next step is I really like to uh, become like a, a home herbalist. But, you know, I would say mint would be really great for the stomach. Um, if you can grow mint, uh, mint is so easy to grow. I grow it in the ground because I have the space to do so it does leave. So you have to be prepared to let it occupy a space. Um, but mint is a wonderful one, you know, anytime that you're looking for um, that kind of relief and it's really cooling. And um, yeah, I would say mint for sure. And yeah, I don't know, that's lemongrass probably as well. If you can grow mm-hmm. lemongrass, I think that would be also like you always find it in tea blends, uh, lemongrass mm-hmm. and mint, maybe some fennel as well would be really good on the stomach and fennel grows. It looks like um, you know, it's a vegetable and it's an herb and you can use the fronds for um, in tea or you can like add them to your salads and, you know, the fennel bulb is, it's got like that licorice flavor. So yeah, I would say those three for sure. That's awesome. One of my favorite from Baker Creek Seeds, just as we were talking about that, it's um, like the common plantain weed that we see. Um, there's, it's called purple perversion and it's very like crinkly leafed and wavy leafed. Uh, but I like that in a normal plantain, uh, you can use it in salads and it kind of like calms your stomach, but you can oh. also chew on it and then, um, spit out like a pulp. Cause it's very good for like bites and burns and irritations and uh, like poison ivies and rashes and stuff. It sucks that out too. So that's, oh, that's fascinating. One. Yeah. Uh, one's <laughs> right at our feet. That's nice. Right. That's cool. <laughs> and we did get a message, um, an email from Sue asking about speaking of mint, any tips on how to grow it? Well, really, it's it's almost grows itself, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Sue, it's pretty aggressive. I mean, I think the biggest thing with mint is to keep it contained or. So the thing with mint, too, is it's it grows early in the season. It comes up early, like when chives come up pretty much and mm. it will go to seed it, it's like basil. It's the same family, right? They're all mint family. Um, so it'll go to seed. So in order to prevent it from going to seed, you want to be harvesting your mint. So um, what you do for harvesting, I suggest always like don't just pick a little here, pick a little there, like start on one side 
take it down, you know, leave like three, four inches above the ground and just, you know, cut your way through it from left to right or right to left. And then it will grow back. So if you do that, you can get a second flush. And even if you have extra, uh, when you harvest all of it, for, like, for example, you can dry it and you can use it for tea. And in the meantime, it'll all grow back. So that's just a really great way to refresh it. Um, because I get so busy, I forget to do that. And mine mm. likes to go to seed. But once it starts going to seed, the leaves go brown, they get black spots, you know, it starts to, to finish. So it's better to keep it young and fresh as long as you can. If you, Like I said, if you have the space in the ground, you can put it there as long as you have like an edge around it or something controlled and make sure that if there's any runners that go, just mow the lawn around it. Like we have uh, a bed, which is basically the base of a maple tree. And so nothing grows under a maple tree really because of all the roots, but mint will happily grow there. So we've got the maple tree and then we've got like this garden of mint that grows oh. under it. And then we cut the, the lawn around that maple tree. It doesn't ever go in the grass and just stays where it is. So it works oh, okay. great because I've always wanted a mint garden. But this year I uh, wanted to grow a lot more varieties of mint. So I bought a bunch of containers, planted them up into the containers. And then before we have, before we freeze and like before I close my garden for the year, I'll bring them into the garage and I'll just have them sitting there and they're fine. They'll go to sleep. I'll cut them back. And then next year I'll just water them really well and they'll start up again. So I'll just keep growing them in my containers and this way I can have, you know, ginger and orange and chocolate and spearmint yeah, and, and spearmint. Uh, banana and all of them. Yeah. Um, and they also if they grow together in a garden, which I, I do that, right? So I have um, many in that maple tree bed and all I know is I have spearmint in there. So they kind of Ugh. lose, they get you yes. lose track of them. So you're better yeah. off if you're looking for different varieties and there's so many fun ones at strawberry you mint separate. Um, yeah. you keep it separate yeah excellent and we're running out of time for one of our best one of our main things we wanted to get to about aside from garlic what can we plant now to you know to harvest before the winter okay so a really fast crop is radishes so okay. if you have about three weeks um, they can take a frost too so you're fine so if you seed radishes directly in the garden now they will come up in about three days you will see seedlings coming up from the garden so that's a really fast one and in three weeks it's done and it's fine um, you can also plant arugula it'll germinate in one day and you'll see it the next day already coming up from the ground so these are really fast crops and um, you can also do spinach um, what I can suggest is what I'm, what I do is I plant the radishes don't get covered because they get harvested, but spinach, arugula and lettuces I plant. And then in a couple of weeks, I'll cover them with the row cover and a row cover is like a fleece. It's a like cultural fleece. It's, it's just a little, it's not really that thick, but it's just thick enough to keep, you know, the snow and keep the frost off of the plants. They will uh, be covered and I'll be able to harvest even with, you know, frost and snow they are hardy, so they're not going to freeze away. But once we get the first hard frost, they'll basically be done. But the covering will protect the roots and the crown of all the plants. Next year, when the days are longer, after the winter Persephone days and the ground starts to thaw, and especially if you have a raised bed, they the ground will thaw quickly, quicker than in the ground, and they will start to grow. So this year, um, from the same lettuces and salads that I planted last year, spinach and lettuces, I was harvesting in April in my garden. Wow. All the wonderful. same veggies I planted last year. So you can definitely do that. You can plant chives, you can plant green onion. And if you plant green onion, it's really super hardy and you'll have it next year as well. So you could just seed them directly and you may not harvest them now, but you'll harvest them in the spring. Um, so basically those, and then Asian greens, mizuna, mustard, bok choy, all of these can be grown now. And if you cover them, you know, uh, you can harvest them a little bit longer and then you may have them again next year. Wonderful. Well, that is great. I'm sorry we had to, it's a, and there's so many questions, uh, Julia. There's so many, it's just so great to see everybody so excited about growing food. So um, I just love that you can join us here and answer everybody's question and because you live it too. Like, so please everybody, yeah. you know, follow Julie's, uh, Julia's website and uh, blog and uh, Instagram, especially. Yeah. Um, and if you leave me a message there, I can answer you as well. If you have any questions, excellent. if you go to my, at Julia Demacos. Democos, because I'm going to send you a picture of our watermelon. You asked, you told me to grow sugar baby, and um, oh, so great. we harvested our first one too soon. But now we've got a second one coming along. Do you? So, you had a question for me about how to know when it's ready. Yes. So I just harvested mine today, both of them. Um, the tendril. So the watermelon, the stem is attached to the main vine, and on okay. the opposite side of that stem is a little curly tendril. When that tendril is dry and brown, your watermelon is ready. 
Excellent. Okay. okay. I'll go check. I'll go get my flashlight and check. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. We'll let Matt take us away. We've- thank you so much for having me. I loved it. I'll, I'd be happy to come back anytime. Excellent. We're going to hold you to that. Are we we are indeed. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again, everyone, for tuning in uh, to uh, Julia DeMacos here, joining us once again on Down the Garden Path. We all hope that you will join us next week, next Monday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time uh, here on Reality Radio 101. And until then, have a lovely week and uh, we'll see you guys later. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio 101.